Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Is everybody ready for the word this morning? Amen. Um, this week uh, was, a, was a, really, a really neat week. Um, I started reading this um, in Genesis on about Wednesday, and this scripture really spoke to me. So if you have your Bibles, your iPad, iPhone, your device, if not, um, if you don't carry a Bible with you, the, um, the scripture will be up on the screen this morning. It's in Genesis chapter 26, verse 1 through 6, and then we're going to jump to verse 12 through 14. Can everybody hear me okay? Genesis chapter 26, verse 1. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. And it says, there was a famine in the land. I want everybody to say the word famine. One, two, three. One, two, three. Famine. There was a famine. We messed that one up a little bit. Want to try again? One, two, three. Famine. There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of Philistines, in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. Verse 4. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge and my commandments and my statutes and my laws. Verse six, so Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And I'm gonna skip right down. Will you skip down with me to verse 12? This is a famished land. In verse 12, it says this, then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped the same year he reaped in the same year 100-fold, and the Lord blessed him. Verse 13, the man, became, excuse me, the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. Somebody say, that's pretty prosperous. <laughs> For he had possessions in flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now, this is pretty neat to me because the Lord said, hey, listen, I don't want you to go down to Egypt. I want you to leave a famished land and go to a place called Gerar, which was in turn a famished land. But how many know that God can see the end of things at the very beginning? And when we see famine, God sees fruitfulness and prosperity. So as I begin to study this week, this word really dropped in my scripture. And it's called, be faithful in the famine. Somebody say, be faithful Come on, let me hear you. Be faithful in the famine. You know, all the attributes I've ever read about God, and I've read several, and there are several hundreds of names that God has. Uh, one being, you know, Jehovah Rapha, him, him being a healer, um, him being our provider, um, him being our way maker, our bridge over troubled waters, our shield, our buckler. Um, he is the alpha, the omega. 
He's the beginning. He's the end. He's my rear guard. He's my sword of the spirit. He's the one who goes before me. He's my consuming fire. He's all these great things. He's the God who gives us power to get wealth, the Bible says in Deuteronomy. All these great, amazing things about God that gives the connotation that he is a provider and that he has your best interest at heart. But as I went across this scripture and began to read it, all those names that God has throughout the Bible, he's never mentioned as God of a famine. He's never known as a God that leads you through difficulty. Even though the scripture explains that he's such, the Bible doesn't give him a particular name. And this is why I came up with this sermon title called Be Faithful in the Famine, because he's not God only of your wealth. He's not only your God of the good times. He's not only God of your mountaintop. He's the God of your famine. He's the God while you're in the valley. He's the God while you're doing good. He's the God that, that's with you when you're in the tough times as well. And there's many times that God will put you in a place where your life seems famished on every side. Now, maybe you're in a position where you're doing really well financially, or maybe your marriage is going really well, or maybe you're doing tough, having hard times in one or the other. But I, I can guarantee you there's at least a couple people in this room that wish they were seeing more success in a certain area of their life. Y'all ain't saying nothing to me. There are times in our life where God, lives where God will stick us in the middle of a completely dry season. And the temptation is, Matt, is that when we're put in those positions, the first temptation is to run because he's the God of prosperity. He's the God of goodness. He's the one who wants to give us the power to get wealth. We're supposed to be above and, 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 and not below. We're supposed to be lenders and not borrowers. So surely God wouldn't stick me in a season of drought because he's, we've been taught he's only the God of prosperity, not the God of poverty. So my first point is, don't run from the famine. I want you to look at someone right now and say, don't you run. Running didn't work well for Jonah. Just ask Jonah. God had a specific design and intent for Jonah's life, a destiny and a purpose. But when the going got rough, the first thing Jonah did, his first inclination was run. God called him to the Nineveh people. He wanted, God wanted them to repent and turn a nation. And God, uh, excuse me, Jonah was very judgmental. And Jonah refused to go to the Nineveh people and preach the word of God so that repentance would come about. So he decides to buy a ticket. And I personally think that God paid for it. Because there's a song by Jason Upton, and it's called Run, Baby, Run. And in this song, it says, run, run, run away from me. You end up running right into me. And that's exactly what we do. And you can't run far enough. Just, just ask Jonah. You can't drink enough. Just ask Noah. You can't sin enough to where you would come to a place where you get excluded from God's presence. Because in Psalms, David said, if I make my bed in hell, you're with me. If I make my bed in the depths of the sea, you're always with me. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Because we cannot escape the plan and the purposes of God. And in Jonah's case, he sent him on a boat and then Jonah gets thrown over and gets eaten by a whale and spends three days in the belly of a great fish. And when he decides to say, I'm going to be faithful in the midst of this famine, I'm not going to run. 
God causes that whale to regurgitate him on the very shores where God had a purpose and a plan for him to preach to the Nineveh people. So don't run from your famine. Say, don't run from your famine. You know, I can't, I can't help but think about um, how the enemy oftentimes, and we think that God provides ways of escape, and the scripture says that God always provides a way of escape. But I also believe when God puts you in the midst of a season that is dry, that is tough, and that is hard, the enemy will put things in front of our face to get us to abort a season that God has called us to. When I think about Jesus, when he was um, in the garden and Peter pulls out his sword and cuts off Malachi's ear and Jesus tells him to put his sword back in his place, he says, do you not think that I can call legions of angels down to deliver me? Do you not think I can be delivered from this situation? God has the power to deliver us from our situations and our tough seasons. But when you try to abort it too early, you miss destiny and you'll miss out on your purpose. So Jesus said, listen, I can deliver myself. If the Lord wanted me to be delivered from this, I would be delivered. But he didn't. He embraced the tough season. He embraced the difficulty. He embraced the hardship, knowing that the hardship would ultimately, if he stayed faithful long enough, if he pushed through long enough, if he could stand the fire long enough, he knew it would produce salvations for multitudes of people. It would produce purpose in people's lives. Amen? I also uh, think about how when Jesus was on, uh, he was... 40 days in the wilderness, the Bible says he was fasting, food and water, didn't drink, he didn't eat anything. And the devil comes to him and tempts him. He brings him up on a pinnacle of a mountain and says to him, all these kingdoms in their world and their glory, excuse me, he says, all these kingdoms and their glory I'll give to you if you'll simply bow down and worship me. The enemy was providing a way of escape out of the desert. What is the enemy putting in front of your face right now or tempting you to run from that God has called you to? My encouragement to you this morning is to not run from the famine. Say, don't run from the famine. Because when we run from the famine or we run from the difficulty, we're not saying it, but we are forfeiting the purpose and the plans that God has for us to prosper in the midst of that famine if you can simply use your eyes of faith and look beyond the famine and see it with spirit eyes. Amen? Amen. Point number two, stay faithful to the famine. If you're taking notes, point number two, stay faithful in the famine. I, I, I have been through a lot of tough things in life and so I preach from experience when, I'm a, when I say what I'm about to say. When you do things that are easy, you produce little result. But when you do things that are difficult, it produces the greatest of blessings. Look at Galatians chapter six, verse seven. I'm gonna read it from the um, Passion Translation. My friends right here on the first row, they love, they've been trying to sell me on the Passion Translation. I also love the King James Version. It says, make no mistake about it. God will never be mocked for what a man plants, he will also reap that very same harvest. Do you have that with, uh, with you? It says uh, in New King James, it says, do not be deceived. 
God is not mocked for whatever man sows that he will also reap. So you can't plant easy things and expect a great harvest in return. So if you can learn to simply be faithful in the famine, you will reap based on what you sow. Amen? You can't sow lemon, lemon seeds and produce apple trees. You can't expect to sow a, um, an oak tree seed and get a redwood tree in return. So if you sow little, you reap little. So we, what we have to do is we have to be determined in our mind that no matter how tough this season is, no matter how much drought is around me, I'm gonna stay faithful in this season and stay faithful to the calling, whatever it is that God has called me to, come hell or high water, no matter how hot it gets, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter who's talking about me, no matter how tempting it is to run, no matter if the enemy provides a way of escape, I'm gonna have a dogged determination that I'm gonna stay faithful to what God has put in front of me. If you're a child of God and you're in, the, and you believe, how many believe that you're a child of God? Can I see your hands? That should be everybody's hands. If you're a child of God, you may not know this, but God, he is not only interested, but he is intricately acquainted with every single detail that's going on in your life right now. Right now. There's nothing that has taken God by surprise. He's very aware of whatever you're dealing with financially. He's very aware of whatever you're dealing with relationally, maritally, whatever it is. He understands if you're depressed. He understands what your feelings are. The Bible says that he knows the very hairs on your head and they're numbered. He has counted them. He's intricately acquainted. So if he's intricately acquainted with all of your ways, he's very acquainted with the decisions that you've made, where you've ended up, and where you are in life right this very moment. And if he knows where you are, and he's helped put you there, he has the power to deliver you. And if he hasn't exercised his power to deliver you, it's because his, it's his perfect will in this season of your life to be right where you are right now at this moment Oh, y'all ain't saying nothing to me right now. God is acquainted with your ways. If he wanted to move the, 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 the mountain, he would. God has the power and the authority to speak to that mountain even for you and move it into the sea, be cast from you, but he hasn't moved it because there's something in this drought and in this season that he wants to extract from you. He's using this season of your life. He's using this drought. He's using this difficulty to cause you to grow your faith because he knows if you don't go through that, you can't become this. If you don't go through that, you can't become this woman of God that he's calling you to be. If you don't go through that thing, you will not develop into the man of God that he's called you to be. Because God often uses difficult situations, hardships, pain, trial, rejection to develop the person of God so that we could be conformed into the image of his son. He's more concerned with you being conformed into the image of Jesus himself than he is with your comforts. His desire is to see his reflection in you. And so when you're really uncomfortable in a situation and you're frustrated, it's an indication that you're still too alive. I had, I, I, I had a pastor. He's laughing over there because he came from the same ministry that I came from. And uh, it's a deliverance ministry, and I, I, I do not apologize for having a background in deliverance. I'm a devil casting out, devil stomping. I steal from hell, rob hell, like, like Reinhard Bunke says, and populate heaven, and I make no mistake about it. And I, I do not apologize for it. 
But, but, but what he would always say is when you go through difficult situations and you react to them, it's just a sign that there's a place in your life that needs to die. Do you know, oh, Holy Spirit, thank you for that. Do you know in the Old Testament when Moses sent the plagues, God used, God used Moses to send the plagues into Egypt. And what they did, sis, this might like my sister, my sister from another mother, Moses and, and, um, and Melanie, they took the blood from, from the lambs and they put them over the doorpost of the people of Israel because the death angel was going to come and kill all the firstborn children. Do you, do you know why that the blood protected them? We th- it wasn't Jesus who died yet. The blood signified that death had already visited the house and there was nothing to kill. When you are a dead person walking, filled with the spirit of God, no place for the enemy, it gives the enemy no room. Remember when Jesus said the enemy of this world is coming and he has nothing in me? God calls us to die to self because the more we die to self, the more room we have for him to occupy. And so as we decrease, he increases. As we die, he lives. As we pull back from the flesh, he manifests more. So when they put the blood over the doorpost, it wasn't that the angel said they're protected by the blood of Jesus. There was no blood of Jesus at that time. It was a sign that death had already visited the house. So there was no point in stopping by and killing the firstborn son because everything had already died. It's the same with our life. If if we want the enemy to really stop tormenting us, we have to learn to decrease so that he can increase. And so we have to learn to die to self so that God can manifest himself in every aspect of our lives. So if you are struggling in your situation right now and you are squirming in where God has put you, just stay a little longer because he's up to something. He's up to bringing death to self so that he can bring life in you and through you by his Holy Spirit. Amen? It's a beautiful death. It's a beautiful thing. Somebody stole about $8,000 worth of my equipment uh, about two weeks ago here at this facility, if you weren't here. Um, And I woke up and my wife's, is it okay if I tell them? My wife uh, was very upset. And she says to me, aren't you upset? And I'm like, man, we're having struggles paying the bills here. I should be upset. And I should have been. The first thing I said was, Lord, I forgive them. And she just looked at me really funny. She's raising her voice a little bit. You can, that's $8,000 worth of your equipment. It funds this ministry and this and that. And you know what I said? It's all in your perspective. I said, Lord, they stole your stuff. What are you going to do? They stole your stuff. When the bills come in too, too, too high, Kelly had to pull them off the, the, the pulpit the other day because I threw them up there and I said, Lord, your bills are due. When you, it's a beautiful death when you can come to a place where nothing affects you. I'm not saying that I'm not affected, but, but when you come to a place of where it's a beautiful death where, Lord, this is your situation. If you wanted it to change, you have the power to change it. I've prayed enough. I've read the Bible. I've done my part. It's nothing that I've done morally that's caused this. If I'm walking according to the word of God and this is still happening, this is a part of God's perfect will, not mine. Obey God and leave all the consequences to him. So if he has you in a hard place right now, it's for a purpose and it's according to his plan. 
And you know, often I found out that when you finally just surrender to that difficult situation and say, okay, God, and you accept it as his perfect plan, he sees you as ready to be delivered from it. But until you come to that place where you're okay with it not changing, it normally will not change. Because you know right then and there, he's finally brought you to a place where it doesn't matter if it changes or not. I get very little amens. That's normally a a usual response. Amen. Amen. You know, I have found out that the enemy tries to get us to focus on the conditions because he knows if we focus on the famine, the more drought he can cause into the soul. And ultimately, I'm going to go a little deep. Is it okay if I just go a little deep? I know I try to be fun sometimes. I want to go just a little deep just for a second. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 12. I want you to see this. Matthew chapter 12, 43. Everybody okay? Matthew chapter 12, verse 43. And it says this. I'm going to begin reading. It says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, it goes through dry places. Everybody say dry places. It goes through dry places, famished places, and it's seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house. And it's talking about a body here. I will return to my house from whence I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter there and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Here's the revelation I got got out of this. The enemy's plot and his ploy is to make you feel dry spiritually so he can take occupancy. Because he looks for dry ground. He looks for the person who is depressed. He looks for the person who's frustrated. He's looking for the person. He's looking for opportunity for drynesses in marriages so he can come between because he can only survive on dry ground. And this is why it's so important. This is why praise and worship is so important, isn't it, Matt? Is because what worship does is it puts you in a place where you uh, are watered spiritually and there's no place for dryness. There's no place for the enemy. There's no place for the devil. There's no place for heartache, no pain. When you're in a place in the spirit, anything can happen outwardly. That's externally. What matters is what's happening on, on the inside internally. And what worship does is it waters the soul and it waters the spirit and leaves little room for the enemy because he goes about dry ground seeking. Seeking dry ground. And that's where he finds rest. So this week, I want you to make up in your mind that you are going to have a dogged determination to stay watered by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Don't give no room for the enemy. No dry ground. Amen? All right. Point number three. God uses dry places to prosper you. I'm almost done. God uses dry places to prosper you. I wrote it here. It says this. The Lord uses unexpected places and people to bless you. He uses dry, unexpected places because he knows that if the conditions are too good, it will leave too much room for you to give happenstance credit. God will literally put you in a dry, famished place in certain areas of your life, and everybody's looks different. But he will put you in that place in order to prosper you because he knows when he gets you to prosper, you'll give the credit to him. 
But if it looks too good and he causes you to excel and get blessed and grow in areas that are too, uh, how, how shall I say, um, too conditioned, he knows you won't give him the credit because the enemy will always go back and whisper in your ear and say, you know, that really wasn't the Lord. That was just kind of happenstance. This kind of just happened. You were at the right place at the right time. This was coincidence. That's a demonic word. In a child of God's life, there is no coincidences. God, he says this faithful, the steps are ordered uh, by the Lord. The righteous steps are ordered by the Lord. There is no coincidence in the child of God's lives. But, but he, will, he will put you in a place that is famished, that is hard, that is broken, that is tough, that'll get you frustrated just to prosper you because he knows in turn, because God has a, he's the only one who can be this, okay? I'm gonna say this, and those of you who are listening, I want you to hear what I have to say before you judge me or email me or write me. There is a selfish part of God but he's the only one who has the right to be selfish because he does things with motives. He puts you in certain places knowing that if I bless them right in the midst of this hardship, nothing else will get the credit for them and ultimately they'll worship me for it. So he will intentionally put you in hard places knowing that it will boomerang back into a worship to him because it's not that he's selfish, but he's a motive, he's a Methodist and I'm not talking about religion here. He works by methods, put you in a tough place knowing that she'll worship me if I put her in this situation and, and she prospers right in the midst of it. Amen? Amen. You know, dry pr- places, dry places, I wrote here, dry places create a thirst for God. If you're always in a place of prosperity, he knows you will not have need of him. Redefine what is prosperity. I want you to read this with me. Matthew uh, chapter five, verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit. Another version would say thirsty. Blessed are those who are thirsty in spirit. Those who are hungry for theirs is the kingdom of God. Dry places have a way of causing you to cry out to the Lord. When in the world have you ever been in a good place? As a matter of fact, you're probably sitting in this sanctuary because your things are going really good. That's sarcasm. Think about the reason that you accepted Christ as Savior. It was always due to some circumstance that popped up that caused brokenness in you, that caused you to go on a search for truth. So he will put you in difficult situations that would cause thirst in you because he knows if he can get you thirsty, he can fill you. And if he fills you, he knows he gets the credit and he gets the worship. So God will intentionally put you in difficult situations, knowing that that situation will cause a thirst that will get you to do like the, the woman who was at the well to go in the 12th hour of the day and say, sir, give me this water from which you are drinking from so that I will never thirst again. And he said, woman, I will give you living water that will be like you in you, a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. He creates thirst to get you to come after him. So this week, I want you to look at your situations that are dry, parched, and famished as an opportunity that is creating a thirst so that you can go after God. Amen. There's a scripture that always says that validates that because unless I'm scripturally sound, everything that I'm saying is irrelevant. It says those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. So then what happens to the people who don't hunger and thirst for righteousness? Those won't get filled. 
they'll be famished. But those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those are the people who find God. Those are the people who get touched by God. Point number four, and I'll close up. I love this. God sees below the dry ground. As I was reading this, um, I couldn't help but notice that he said, don't go down to Egypt. Don't go down to Egypt. Can you put that up on the screen for me, um, Imara? It is found in verse two. And it says, then the Lord appeared to him. I want you to watch this. The Lord appeared to him, meaning Isaac. And he said, don't go down to Egypt, but live in the land of which I tell you. He knew, Isaac knew automatically to go to Egypt because Egypt was a powerful nation. Egypt was prosperous. But point number four says, God sees below the dry ground. Little did Isaac know that in just a few years, in just a few chapters, Egypt would experience its greatest drought that the world had ever seen at that time. So God's seen below the ground in Gerar. I want you to go to Gerar. It may look bad right now, but just a year or two from right now, it's not gonna look like what you see right now. I have plans to prosper this thing. I can see below the ground. God could see the, the oil beneath the ground, if you will. He could see the water running beneath the ground, if you will. But Egypt outwardly looked like it was prospering. It was a powerful nation. Your situation may not look like much right now. And listen, a lot of people say, hey, don't, 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 don't focus on, he said, the old, what is that old saying? The only reason the grass looks greener on the other side is you're not close enough to see the stuff in it. I won't say the word that they use. God sees what's going to be. We see only what it is. And Isaac only seen what Gerar looked like at that time. It's parched, it's famished. How can my family survive here? How can I create a legacy here, Lord? How can I prosper in such a dry land? Why not go to Egypt? Why not take the easy way out? But God had foresight. He knew that Egypt would have a seven-year drought, a seven-year famine with people dying, babies dying, but it looked good. God knows what your situation is gonna look like one year from now. That spouse may not be who you want them to be right now. But God told you to marry them because he knew who they would become. Even though that job might be frustrating right now, it may not be the thing but it will be the thing that leads to the thing it's a perspective change so if God doesn't use that he used that as a step the ultimate goal he knows what the ultimate goal is but the first step just might be difficult he's a dot connector Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.